The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 22nd of May. Good morning. With much debate and discussion from now till 11am, this is Michael Reid on LMFM. People in Northern Ireland have spoken in what has been a most remarkable election for Sinn Féin. The party has broken all records after becoming the first party ever to receive more than 30% of first preference votes, picking up 39 new council seats, giving Sinn Féin 144 seats, far more than the DUP's 100 122 seats. The Alliance Party has also made history by becoming the third biggest party in the North with 67 councillors now. Let's uh, speak uh, to Sinn Féin TD for me these to Taran O'Rourke who's on uh, the line. Good morning Darren, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Before we talk uh, about the elections, can we talk about uh, events in Navan over the course of uh, the last week and uh, that dreadful homophobic attack on a 14 year old boy. We've had five arrests over the weekend and uh, people will be interested this morning to see in the Irish Daily Mail that the Taoiseach, the Taunashta and the Minister for Justice have said that they will be happy to attend uh, the Gay Pride Festival in the town on the 1st of July if uh, they're invited. Uh, That follows on from uh, another rally that took place over the weekend uh, which I know that you were at uh, the rally against hate Equation uh, in the town. Uh, over a hundred people turned up for that. What was the mood amongst people? Yeah, it was really was one of um, and th- thanks, Michael. Um, one of of solidarity. I think um, like right across the town, the county, and and the country. Last week there was, you know, shock uh, and disgust at, at at what happened in in Navan. Um, I think, you know, there is a community there that uh, understandably feels very vulnerable um, uh, when when they see those things. Um, uh, and uh, the, the mood on, on, on Saturday, and, and there were politicians there, Navin Pride was represented, Drogheda Pride, trade unions, community groups, just ordinary citizens from, from around Navin and around the county, really was one of, of, of solidarity, of 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 resistance of uh um you know firm uh, opposition to uh, to hate to to acts of of hate to um to 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 violence against uh, people who are who are different um who want to express their 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 diver- diversity so so i think it it was reflective uh, but also very firm in terms of of the the type of nav and the type of me, the type of country that that, that we want to create, and and um, and, and firmly say, and mm-hmm. uh, and the numbers, it was organised at short notice. Mm-hmm. It was a, a, a nice crowd there. I think you know it it was covered in the media, and there was lots of people who who weren't there who who were were, were delighted to see it to, to see it happen. Uh, as I said, it was organised at short notice. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's I think the the mood. Uh, Mike, is nothing any different? Do you think though than uh, any other town in the country? No, I, I don't think so. No, I, and, and all the more reason why, when a light is shone on an incident like this, that that there is, and I think it's important, and we shouldn't take it for granted. Um, you mentioned it there, and I said it on the door last week. Right across the political spectrum, there was condemnation of of this uh, event. There was solidarity. Um, you know, people saying uh, the whole country is behind that that young chap, um, a, a child. Remember. 
um, of, of 14 years of age. Um, so I think, you know, from from and we've seen it over over the years. Mm. Um, from time to time, a light is shone on the type of things that happen to uh, vulnerable groups, and it's important that there's you know, a collective response in relation to it, that there is an outcry, and that's we're in the middle of a, an outpouring of, of, of solidarity. But more important than that, and I think that's been reflected in a lot of the political commentary, there needs to be um, a culture shift and, uh, you know, something... You know, we need to get to the root cause of, of these types of incidents, what exactly, uh, you know, uh, is behind them, and to, uh, and to address those root causes. OK, and um, does that allow... Uh, scope for considering something other than punishment for the boys who beat that young boy to a pulp. Yeah, well, I think there. You know, I think um, there are laws there, and, and there's there's sufficient laws, uh, and the mm. the guardie and the authorities have have well, powers. And bear in mm, mind, these, these five are, people have been arrested. They've yeah, been released without charge, uh, but that may change. Of course, uh, the guardie yeah. and the DUP will decide on that. The schools will decide on what action to yeah. take. Uh, but uh, should there be something other than punishment for the boys who are ultimately found responsible for this attack? Well, I think we need to look at, and like the, for, for the for the boys included, but also in, in wider terms, there needs to be a, a, a process of of education there to understand what is behind this, what is behind this, like othering mm. of other of other people, uh, targeting of other people because they're because they're different, because uh, they express themselves in different ways. Okay, let let, let me try and be clear um, uh, for the boys who are ultimately found guilty, because there's little or no doubt, I think everybody would be terribly surprised if uh, somebody isn't uh, made accountable for what happens, but for the boys who are ultimately found responsible, uh, should there be something, uh, apart from uh, them being expelled from school and facing criminal charges, charges of assault? I'm 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 not sure where where you're going in relation to this this Michael. Uh, um, well, their lives will be ruined if that's the case. If they're out of school and they're in the courts and maybe uh, detained, uh, God knows what the decisions of the courts will be. Um, but uh, should there be some uh, sort of education for them? Should they uh, be given an alternative school place, or should they? Uh, be sat down with counselors or something like that because these oh, are because we're oh, we're we're we're, right. we're, talk, we're, we're talking yeah. about very very young children yeah. across yeah. the board uh, and they're victims of their own wrongdoing but nonetheless uh, they're going to pay a price for it. No, I I agree and and I think that's so again going back to, and and it's again a wider discussion in terms of yet yeah, they're 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 uh, they're they're um, you know they'll they've. they've Taken the action that they've taken, and, and they need to be held accountable in relation to it. But you know, what's the the price to pay in, in, around that? I think you know there there is you know wider problems in society that we you know that, that incident in Navan isn't unique. We believe that the, those types of incidents are on the increase. They are reflective of deeper problems within society, and we can't hold those uh, a handful of individuals in Navan uh, responsible for uh, wider societal problems. We certainly need. Uh, uh, a system there that uh, educates and informs and uh, uh, brings a wider understanding to why people do those types of uh, take those types of, of actions and and of course 
holds them holds them to account and punishes them, but also uh, has a rehabilitative uh, aspect as well. The more in our criminal justice system, the idea of uh, locking people up in, in Mount Joy for, for 12 months or, or, or 12 years, um, there needs to be an element of, uh, first of all, recognition of the, the contribu- contribution of wider society, um, but also rehabilitation mm. and that people can uh, learn from their mistakes, uh, reflect on them and move on with their with their lives. And I and think that, uh, and you know, that their lives aren't necessarily ruined, that they're given a second chance, is it? I, I, absolutely. And I think I think for I think, you know, I, I don't know the, the individual circumstance. I don't know the individual motivations in relation to this. Um, but knowing knowing the human condition, you know, some people may have just got caught up in it, never intended for things to work out the way they did. Of course, the real victim um, uh, in this is the is the the, mm. the young man, uh, the, the child that was the victim of it. Yeah, but, who had four teeth, four teeth knocked out, uh, concussed, uh, terribly bruised face, uh, and uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, is living with anxiety after it. I think most people would be. Absolutely, absolutely uh, dread, dreadful, and 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 I, I think you know, like, how do we measure, like, in in any criminal justice system or or justice system, we look at is there remorse on behalf of of the the people who who did this? You know, do do they regret it? Are they sorry for it? You know, would it, would they do it again tomorrow? Um, in, in the same circumstances? Have they learned from it? Um, you know, I think those things all are are, are mitigating factors, and I think. You know, um, I, I saw some of the initial reaction. You look at the, the 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 video, which was widely circulated, and it's it's almost tarred them all with the one brush. Everybody that was involved in any shape or form. But of course, that's not the the way the way of it. I think you know the Gardaí and their duties, and we've all seen it in, in terms of individual cases. They go it go through it in forensic detail and, and look at the individual contributions to to what happened and and, and treat treat it accordingly. But I think what's really important here is that there is a, a strong show of solidarity that, that Navin and Mead and Ireland says we won't stand over this type of activity and that we uh, that, that we learn from it that we mm. don't want to come back here and I'm, you know, you're always at pains to, to say that and, and unfortunately we so often are uh, back at the same position but I think it behoves the, the community but principally political and community leaders um, to to uh, to act on this you know uh, school okay. authorities and political authorities to to continue to to stand up and, and call this out and sometimes that isn't always the, the easiest thing to do mm. um, but it needs to happen okay well Sinn Féin, uh, undoubtedly a very buoyant political party today after the elections in the north it really was a, a remarkable weekend for your party it, it really was, um, Michael, um, as you said at the outset, um, a couple of things, you know, history in terms of the amount of seats uh, uh, taken, 144, no party um, in the North had ever taken more than 140 seats, um, so the highest number of seats, and, and right across the, the the six counties, you know, there were really strong results in a number of areas, you know, you were taking five seats out of six, six seats out of seven in, in individual DEAs um, taking seats. I think really importantly, uh, Sinn Féin took seats where they never took seats before. Um, you know, Coleraine is an example. There are other examples in the Causeway Coast and Antrim. And, um, you know, just that, that uh, um, 
uh, uh, increase in support across the board. And I think there's a couple of things that were important in relation to it. First of all, you know, there's this there's the suggestion there from in some quarters in the media that um, all that's happening is that the the national vote nationalist vote is coalescing around uh, Sinn Féin, um, but actually. Uh, and another important element is that you know, the national nationalist vote is coalescing around Sinn Féin. But more than that, the the increase the the, the nationalist vote nationalist vote is increasing. Um, so I, I think there's uh, very significant uh, demographic changes across the north, and as a result, very significant change in politics. And it's only going in one direction in the north. Um, and I think, you know, it behoves the, the, the government in the South um, to, to wake up to that and recognise the demographic and political changes happening in the North and to prepare mm. for, for Irish unity. OK, right. <laughs> That's a bit of a jump at the moment. Uh, how about getting back in, into Stormont and what can be done uh, to convince uh, the DUP to take up their seats now? Because uh, they're uh, claiming that the election endorsed their position of holding out because of their demands and the Windsor Agreement not beating them? Well, I think the first line of, of Geoffrey Donaldson's manifesto for the local government was to, to get a mandate uh, to, to get the Assembly back up and, and running. And um, ultimately, the, the DUP have a decision to make. I think the the, the mood music at the weekend, and I heard from, from some unionist commentators talking about it's a matter of um, when, not if, the assembly gets back up and running. Um, I think, you know, has as has has as has always been the case uh, since the assembly election. Um, we have clearly stated that um, the, the the assembly has a mandate. Uh, Sinn Féin has a, has a mandate within that, um, and that the um, the absolutely resounding uh, uh, support. Uh, for getting the assembly back up and running um has been has been la- born to brought to bear at the at the weekend there in terms of the the support for for parties that want to get the assembly back up and running and i think um the dup uh, will have to work out internally in terms of of you know their position on the windsor framework and their discussions uh and um uh, commitments they can get from the from the British government in in Westminster, but ultimately the mandate, the call uh, for the assembly to get back up and running, the clear the clear mandate that Sinn Féin has received, and our policy platform was about delivering for local government, but also about making politics work in the north. And I think it's very clear there where the people of the North across the political divide uh, want the Assembly to be, and that's up and running and functioning and uh, delivering for the people of the North. And I think um, the DUP can take solace from their uh, result. Um, they held they held the, 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 their, their 122 seats um, whilst whilst others lost seats. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, that's a mandate for them 
uh, to get back to the table. All right, man, we'll see if uh, they interpret it to uh, the same extent that you do, but we leave it there for the moment. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Sinn Féin TD for Mead West, uh, Darren O'Rourke, uh, on uh, the subject of uh, that horrible homophobic attack, very violent, vicious homophobic attack on that 14-year-old boy. Uh, we had so many comments come to us last week, uh, and I held on to a few of them just to bring them to you today, uh, because time didn't allow them to go out on Friday. Uh, we would uh, a text from somebody who asked to stay anonymous who said aggressive bullying, verbal abuse, violence and sexual assault uh, need to be named and blamed. The parents, school and youth who got involved uh, in this should be held responsible. Mob and herd mentality is what it, it takes, is what takes over in, in these situations. Uh, the young people are a product of our society. This mentality will follow them and it will haunt them as adults. For some of them, it'll become uh, their go-to behaviour because no one stood up and said, no, stand up and be counted for what is right. We have enough institutional abuse in history. Let us learn from it and move forward. Please be part of uh, the solution by remaining quiet you condone the actions and are part of the problem uh, Jerry in Wilkinstown said the louts that carried out that horrific attack should be sent to the current camp to be taught a severe lesson uh, Navin listener says unless there's serious penalties for antisocial behaviour such as fining parents curfews on thugs and more guard patrols the problem will only get worse time to build the new prison now which was shelved many years ago uh, another text uh, from uh, somebody who said I disagree with uh, the appalling outrageous assault on that young boy uh, and it being put on the internet the video being posted like that uh, appalling the stupidity of the assailants to think they were degrading the young man instead it has really shown and told us all uh, about how horrible and horrific those men monsters are and a lot about their mentality only for that student that pulled him free from being murdered uh, we all know now who they are we see their faces in the internet and their bags the clothing and the Garda have the evidence uh, and uh, they didn't win and they won't win jail is not good enough for them says our caller now if you want to make comment on the programme today our telephone number is 0419832000 and we would love to hear from you. That's 0419832000. You can text us or WhatsApp the same number for a text message or a WhatsApp text. That's 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Irish Farmers Association is calling for stronger dog controls. Uh, let's speak once again to Kevin Comiskey, chairman of uh, the IFA Sheep Committee. Good morning to you, Kevin. Thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. We've heard of a, a lot of uh, attacks, uh, worrying sheep, destroying sheep uh, and that over a long period of time. Uh, but it's not just sheep who fall victim to these dog attacks. Uh, I see uh, your branch in North Kildare, very concerned after attacks on a, a bullock which had to be put down over the weekend following a similar attack on a, a bullock uh, a month ago. Uh, we have new controls in place. Are, are they strong enough? Well, that's the, that's the problem, Michael. Um, we have proposals in place and uh, that's the issue. That's uh, what the Minister and the Government is dragging their heels on. Um, after a long, strenuous campaign that IFA, the IFA Sheep Committee done, uh, we got proposals brought to Cabinet, but that's a month back, and we have seen nothing happen since. Nothing at all? 
nothing at all. And that's the unfortunate situation at the minute with, with the uh, Minister and the government. We hear these sound bites um, proposed to state happiness um, monitoring the situation. I'll get my officials to look into it, you know, but action is what's needed. We need action on the ground. And I want an announcement saying uh, the 30 dog wardens are recruited today at their place, mm-hmm. out on the streets and out on the countryside in their vans, uh, looking and monitoring the, the, these dogs. It's the dog wardens has to do the monitoring and have to be out there employed by the government. Right, uh, because we were to get the 30 new dog wardens, but also higher fines. Higher fines, indeed, and that's what the legislation. Another, what I want to hear in the announcement is not proposals. I want to see this brought and uh, uh, sanctions put in place that will reflect this horrendous uh, attack and damage that's been done on farms. We see it on the sheep sector, and I've been highlighting it since I became chairman and indeed before that. Um, unfortunately, now this has branched out to... Uh, to the cattle sector and indeed on, on humans and it's, it's totally unacceptable. Mm. Is um, that very unusual that cattle would be attacked like that by dogs? In, indeed it's not, Michael. Unfortunately, um, when I was putting me for uh, going to the ministers, uh, I put a booklet together of horrendous and horrific pictures of, of dog attacks and some of them were uh, dogs ran uh, cattle over cliffs and were lying on the in the sea, down on rocks and everything. So, you know, it happens, cows being ran, cows being chased. And um, so we've seen, before this, we've seen where cows was attacked down in Kerry, if, uh, if my memory serves me right. But um, no, the cattle attacks um, by these bigger and larger dogs is went on also. Okay. Uh, well, people obviously uh, haven't heard uh, that they'll end up in trouble or maybe they um, realise that um, it's lying on the cabinet's desk because those fines were to increase from 2,500 to 5,000. Uh, are you aware of anybody who's been fined 2,500 recently, let alone 5,000? No, so that's the issue, Michael, and that's what I have pointed out on numerous occasions to the Minister. You know, you can bring in all the laws in the country that you want, but its implementation and its action is required. You know, if you happen to get the out on the streets there to stop you for a, a tax offence or insurance or whatever and, uh, on your care, you won't be fined and the implementation won't be. And it's the exact same in this. You know, it's implementation and its action and the feet on the ground is what's needed. Mm. Uh, and uh, what ground? I mean, is it possible to police uh, rural mountainous areas? Well, it, it may not be possible to do the whole lot, but look at if you got 30, we have 60 dog wardens at the minute, if we got an increase of 30, you know, it, it'd be a good step in the right direction. And we have also said that, um, you know, if it's as a, a role to play in this also, too, that they can, when the dog is presented for, to get a vaccination or medicine or treatment of any kind, that they have to insist that the dog is microchipped and licensed also before mm-hmm. they issue any medical uh, you know, remedy for that animal, the same as we have to do with her, with her cattle and sheep. Okay, I take it the simplest uh, solution of all is uh, that people controlled their dogs, that there wouldn't be a need to police them, there wouldn't be a need for dog wardens. Well, that's exactly it. And look, it's a small minority is doing this, but it is human behaviour at the end of the day. And I've always pointed out, you cannot blame the dog. You know, it's in, it's in their nature. It's human behaviour that has to do uh, keep their dogs on the lead and under effective control at all times. Okay, thank you, Kevin, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Kevin Comiskey, chair of uh, the IFA's Sheep Committee. Some more comments coming to us uh, this morning about uh, the attack on that young boy in Navin. Somebody says that the government should open up Spike Island and put in ex army. 
uh, Rangers to run the prison with three foot long batons uh, that's Mick thank you indeed Mick uh, for that Paddy Duffy says with the number of strikes that that young teenager took to his head it's just pure luck that somebody is not facing a murder charge Maraid was in touch with us as well and she says those thugs whose culture does not recognise homosexuality should be given prison sentences and questions should be asked of their parents too if they want uh, to uh, continue to be free uh, or uh, stay out of prison they have to obey and respect uh, the law. Thank you indeed uh, Maraid for that. Thanks uh, very much to everybody who's been in touch with us. If you want to make comment as always uh, you're welcome to send a text like Maraid or Paddy 086 658 the number. Michael Reed on LMFM Have you ever shared an intimate photograph of someone else on the internet? Uh, the kind of photograph uh, that would compromise people. Um, would you? Um, if you did or if you've uh, thought about that question, um, would you think it was wrong? Uh, I would imagine it. we all would know it is wrong uh, and that it uh, would have a serious impact on the person who's being photographed naked or semi-naked or whatever the case may be. Uh, But would you know it's illegal? Uh, I'd have thought most of us would. 50% of us uh, are not aware that that is uh, the case. And as a result of that, an information campaign has been launched, as you've been hearing this morning, to teach people that you just can't do that. It says a lot, I think, possibly, about her attitudes towards sex. Let's uh, speak to Nolene Blackwell, CEO of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Good morning to you, Nolene, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. And you do so following on uh, from uh, the latest uh, edition uh, of data from the CSO last week, uh, looking at uh, the sexual violence survey uh, from 2022 and how uh, it has impacted on people in this country as adults and an awful lot of people have encountered some sort of sexual abuse. 39% of women will have experienced sexual violence as an adult. Uh, 25% of women as an adult with a partner uh, and 1 in 10 adults have experienced sexual abuse over the last 12 months. Uh, Is it surprising to you at all that for the vast majority of people, their attacker has been a man? 84% of partners who assault their partner are men and 90% of people who assault others who are not partners are men. Yeah, this is this is consistent with other evidence that's there. I'll say this about the survey, Michael. There's an awful lot of information in it and a lot to think through. But, uh, but it's really great to have it because it was a big scale survey, which actually doesn't surprise a lot of us working in the area, but it, it it confirms trends that we saw in other ways. So, for instance, that business of most of those who carry out uh, sexual violence, those that are reported to the Gardaí, it's exactly the same. It's even higher with the Gardaí, um, but about 90% to 95% to the Gardaí. Uh, it's men uh, uh, sexually uh, assaulting uh, women or other men. So that's that's consistent across what has been happening. And this is showing that it is one of the ways in which we're, I'm not saying that women don't commit sexual offences because they do and there are women sex offenders in our jails uh, all the time. But, but the preponderance of this kind of violence happens 
by men uh, and and in some ways you you it's important to call that out because we know not all men do it and men can get very defensive but the reality of this type of violence is that everything the way our society is constructed mm. the way um, men are brought up the way women are brought up makes it an offence much 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 more likely to be carried out by men uh, than by women it highlights too does it not uh, how it's not just uh, dirty men down dark lanes jumping out of uh, nowhere on, on top of women we're talking about men in partnerships who are abusing their partner and repeatedly so yes Yes, and actually that's one of the things you kind of see changing in recent times because the classic response was, that's a very nice person. He wouldn't do that before. Whereas now what we realise is that people will, people do, and this particular spotlight on this survey is on adults, what happens in adult relationships. And in adult relationships, one in four uh, of the the women who um, who disclosed that they were sexually assaulted at some stage, one in four of them were uh, sexually um, uh, uh, assaulted, including rape, uh, but all other types of sexual misbehaviour as well by a partner. So one in four of them were in the intimate partnership re- um, relationship. That's also consistent with everything we've seen over the years in our own statistics, Michael. When we publish annual statistics, uh, we show that about 20%, so one in five, one in four, one in five uh, of those happen in intimate relationships. And that's very, very serious because that's the place where the breach of trust is the biggest. It's where the greatest harm is done. It's an abuse of power. It's an abuse of um, of something that should be very, very precious. And and that's another thing that this survey showed up was that where people are less powerful for some reason, they can be more at risk of sexual violence. So, for instance, women who were economically dependent or who had long term health problems were substantially more likely to be at risk of sexual violence than other women. Mm. Uh, Similarly, if they had a disability and then uh, and then a huge factor for sexual violence were, were people, who, uh, men and women, who were bisexual or lesbian or gay. Mm. Uh, there's uh, half of uh, the adults who have experienced sexual violence uh, with a, a non-partner who say that uh, they endured that uh, with several people. Yeah, yeah. So again, some of, some of this is... Um, something that we would also recognize that for instance you can find uh, that if somebody is vulnerable to to one person they're vulnerable to more so there are classes of people who are economically dependent in one way or another for instance if you are homeless mm. you're at much greater risk of sexual violence uh, there so there are a number of people who will be in situations where they are more vulnerable uh, those who are selling sex uh, are 
much more vulnerable to sexual violence than others. So there's a whole range of economic situations people might be in to be more vulnerable. And then there is, uh, there's also an age issue, it seems to be the case, um, where, for instance, younger people seem to be more at risk of multiple instances of sexual violence. And that's, you know, that that's probably a lot of factors taking into that as well. I mean, mm. frankly, younger people are experimenting more. They may not be in stable, settled relationships uh, at that stage. Uh, they're much more likely to be um, internet dating via the various dating apps. And mm. that seems to be a risk. Uh, and then there, there, there may be something in it as well, though, that they're more conscious because one of the things that this survey does, which makes it hard, not impossible, but hard to compare with other surveys, is how it, how it identifies sexual violence. And it identifies it as things we know about, force, uh, mm. rape, uh, attempted rape. But it also identifies it as experiences which are uh, mis- sexual misbehaviour, which has a forceful impact on somebody else. Like posting so, photographs on the internet. Like posting else. photographs yeah. on the yeah. internet. Mm-hmm. Exactly mm-hmm. right. And on, on the internet and in other places as well like people might as you yeah. said people might know the internet must be wrong but do people know that WhatsApp is wrong in a work group mm. clearly not we are the whole time of scandals where in professional organisations uh, that um, uh, pictures are being shared around uh, that are internet images that they shouldn't be mm. so those are also instances of literally it's, it's criminal as you mentioned but it is also extremely harmful to the person and can have an impact on them that can desperately damage them. Is there a greater chance of being sexually assaulted uh, today than would have been the case 40 years ago, let's say, for people in their 20s? Because one of the most striking parts of uh, the survey, I would have thought, is that 8% of people over the age of 65 have never been assaulted, not as a child or an adult. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you do wonder about that. But do think back 40 years ago, it was not a crime to rape your wife. You couldn't, you literally couldn't do it in law. It was absolutely considered normal behaviour. So the older we get as we go along, the less likely we are to object to things in some ways. So one of the things that our therapists would say is that people sort of normalise some things in their mind over time. You know, if there's Mm. nothing you can do about it, you might normalise a bad experience and you might not recognise it as such. Whereas if it's a more recent experience or if you're younger and you're hearing more, about it. Uh, There's a chance you may know better. But uh, Dublin Rape Crisis Centre was the first of the 16 rape crisis centres around the country to be formed. It was formed about 42 or 43 years ago. And it was formed following on all the Reclaim the Night uh, protests that were being done by women who just wanted to be able to wear what they want and walk where they want without physical or sexual violence. Rapes were horrific but you didn't hear them mentioned you didn't hear of sexual violence in the context of really bad behaviour which really upset people but which you couldn't complain about it is only very recently that the courts have stopped hearing from people he's a decent human being he mm. you, you you have to let him off that sort of bad behavior you don't even hear so much anymore of people saying she should be able for that she's in a man's world you don't hear that kind of behavior anymore goodness, so yeah. i think mm. so i think mm. i think you couldn't talk about it before there's some people still coming forward today there will be people who phone the national helpline today who will be talking about something 
something that happened them 40 or 50 years ago that they literally were not able to talk about mm. until today. That will happen today and tomorrow. Okay. So we were not able to talk about bad things that happened back then as easily as we are now. Okay. And also, I think people are more conscious. It's not their fault. We'll and therefore they should. Okay, uh, exactly. Uh, they should. And we'll conclude by giving them the national helpline number if people do want to talk uh, or to consider talking. It's one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty eight. open 24 hours a day, free of charge. Train counsellors at the end of uh, that line uh, who uh, can help you through uh, what can be very difficult for a lot of people. one eight hundred seventy seven eighty eight eighty eight. 8888 That's uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre National Sexual Violence Helpline. Nolene, thank you as always always for joining us Thank today. You, Nolene Blackwell is uh, the CEO of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, this week uh, sees uh, the start of European Mental Health Week. Uh, the theme this year is mentally healthy communities. Uh, they say that mental well-being is universal and essential for healthy communities and vice versa, and that we all need better understanding, knowledge, skills and support in order to take care of our mental health. Let's speak now to Linda Bratnock of the Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. She's a counsellor, psychotherapist and workplace trainer with therapytraining.ie. Good morning to you, Linda, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, How are you? Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good on this Monday morning. Nice yep. to see the blue skies out there. That's that's good to hear. Uh, should I delve deeper, I suppose, is the next question? Should you delve deeper? Yeah, because I think whenever we're asked, how are we, we all say we're grand. I I love that you started with that. I, um, I tongue-in-cheek often talk about how we always say, particularly when I work with couples, and I'll say, how are you this week? And they'll say, grand, fine, sounds, not a bother, or good, and yeah, they won't even answer. They'll say, yeah, and you. And, mm. but, you know, even if both of them give the same answer, that they're fine, I still don't know how each of them are. That might be very different things for each person. And, yeah, we kind of keep it at that level. And, and maybe that's appropriate, you know, if you're mm. in certain scenarios, you're not going to spill all and, and you know, kind of over-express your, your vulnerability or overshare. But maybe we're undersharing as well. Um, maybe we're putting too much pressure on ourselves. And uh, a bit odd uh, when they're speaking to their counsellor, um, not recognising <laughs> their feelings, I, I suppose. Uh, but we're all guilty of that. Why is that? It's kind of, yeah, it's just a habit, I mm. suppose. And look, you know, we all like, you know, we all rather be the helper <laughs> rather than the helpy. We, we feel you know more comfortable. We kind of, you know, our defences kick in and. You know, it's really normal and human. Sure, I do it myself sometimes, and I just did it there with you this morning, even though I'm nervous coming on the call or whatever. We do it. That's, yeah. You know, it's a human response and it's normal. But I suppose, like what you were just reading out there around, you know, mental health and how we can learn, we can learn to, you know, there are ways that we can learn to be. It's not even a doing thing. It's not necessarily changing huge amounts. It's just how we are in ourselves. We can learn different ways mm. to what we. And it, it can feel counterintuitive sometimes because what we're talking about is a normal human response. There's a reason that we all do it. That's, that's kind of, you know, probably goes back years in terms of survival and all of that. But sometimes it doesn't work for us anymore when it comes to mental health. Okay. And I, I suppose uh, we all have ups and downs. We all have good days and bad days, some days harder than others. But uh, to a large degree, you have to get on with it and keep living. And uh, you can't. Um, sit around worrying too much but 
that can go on for a long period of time. Uh, and you've been describing it as uh, like a stew pot. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to clarify, when you say we have to get on with, with, it, with it, yes, we do. Like I had to uh, acknowledge my nerves coming on this radio programme and get on with it. But it's to be important to acknowledge the nerves and acknowledge and not suppress. So, um, you know, I'll give myself time to recover and have a cup of tea before I go on to do more work during the day or whatever. But sometimes we have that get on with it approach where we think we just keep going, just keep going. And that's when it becomes suppression and we start blocking away the impact of all these experiences. And we think we're fine, but actually we're, we're building them up in our stew pot. And yeah, I was just kind of uh, uh, talking about the, the, the story that I tell around the stew pot where we, we put our feelings, we might have a little niggle in our tummy, we put them in the stew pot and we put the lid tightly back on. Ah, oh, sure, look, I'll just ignore that and keep going with whatever the challenge is. And then another thing goes in, the lid goes back on and it just keeps building up until eventually um, the, the pot starts bubbling. And I was giving this talk on a, a building site one time and uh, it, was in, it was kind of at the height of the pandemic. There was a, a tent in the middle of the building site, all these lads in their high-vis vests. And two of them were kind of nudging each other down the back. And when I asked them what was up, they said that they actually had stew for their lunch that day. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And there was a big laugh and I said, great, who made the stew? One said their wife made it and the other one said he made it himself. And I said, great, well, you know when you're making your stew mm. and it starts bubbling up. And what I was going to talk about is how we can get a little bit irritable and the spits, you know, the, the lid starts rattling and the spits start coming out. Yes. And we might be a little bit passive aggressive or we might be a little bit, you know, kind of snappy with our friends and family. But he just said, no, no, that doesn't happen for me. And I said, why? And he goes, because when I'm making my stew, I leave the lid half on so the steam can come out. So it doesn't start bubbling up in that way. And I was like, everybody laughing. It's exactly what I wanted to hear because that's what we need to learn to do with our feelings is to acknowledge them earlier before they get to that boiling point. You know, mm. and when that's anger, of course, that's very dangerous. That's where we see the red mist. And we, we explode when that's um, uh, anxiety. It can it can come out in physical symptoms. Our thoughts can spiral out of control, um, being fueled by these bubbling feelings. And uh, you know we obviously have the physical sensations and panic and you know fast heart rate and sweating and not sleeping and all of that. Mm. But also that can that can lead to depression where we we our thoughts spiral and we start forgetting our worth. We implode as opposed to explode, and we start giving out to ourselves and telling ourselves that. 
we're not good enough, we're not worth it. You know, we start to really believe these spiralling thoughts. And so, yeah, the few personality goes down well when I'm trying to kind of simplify it for people. Um, It's difficult uh, at times, I would uh, imagine, for a lot of us, uh, particularly if you're feeling anxious, uh, because if you're feeling anxious, uh, I think most of the time it's with good reason. Um, yeah. uh, and that reason remains there. Uh, but anxiety can be as damaging as depression can be, can't it? Yeah, yeah, of course. Anxiety and depression and there's generalised anxiety disorder. But I think there's a little bit of a mixed message out there around, um, you know, around on social media, around mental health and anxiety and depression, because sometimes we can feel because we feel anxious, and you see, we can feel the physical effects of anxiousness and anxiety long after the event. I know myself, if I go for an interview, I can be quite calm during the interview for a job or whatever. But later on, when I'm having my dinner, I might get a little bit shortness of breath or whatever. So our body has different ways of, of you know, kind of expressing the experience. And, you know, then we might be thinking, if we, if I didn't have that awareness, I might be going, why, why is my breath like this and I'm only eating my dinner, you know? And mm. it's the same with anxiousness or anxiety and depression or whatever and there's yeah a bit of a mixed message you know it's okay not to be okay but look at this sunset and everything will be all right if it's really okay not to be okay then it's okay not to be okay so that means it's okay to feel stressed or anxious or sad or scared Mm. or hurt or you know not good enough all those feelings are valid but it's the thoughts that can spiral that we need to kind of keep in check and the only way we can do that is if we say it out loud to somebody supportive so uh, if we let those thoughts spin around, either in the stew pot or in our head or whatever, then they'll go unchallenged. And a right. maybe might, might start as a maybe, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I shouldn't go for that because I feel nervous. And then it can become a, a definite, an assumption mm. uh, with no evidence or facts. So I always say your feelings are valid, but they're not facts, they're not permanent. And, you know, I think that's, you know, to look for the evidence, but the only way we can really overcome those blind spots if we use is if we use our support. So journaling mm. is a really good way to do it. So writing it out and even just reading it out on a page can, can really help. Or art or just expressing it in some way, doodling. It doesn't have to be proper sentences. Yeah. Um, but then or or as you say, speaking to somebody. Uh, it, it sounds very simple. It does, but it feels counterintuitive when you're vulnerable. Right. So it does sound mm. simple, but you know, our normal human response is to do the other. If we feel pain, we, mm. you know, even when we have, say, a pain in our leg, we tense up our whole body to try and, you know, try and stop that pain. But actually, as I've learned <laughs> through having babies, if you can kind of slow down your breathing and breathe through the pain, it can it can help it to ease. And it's mm. something similar when we have emotional pain to actually slow down and give ourselves a breather and to be kind to ourselves. But unfortunately, just the way the world is today, we seem to put a lot of pressure on ourselves and each other um, and actually, my experience with people, um, both in the private practice and in the, you know, the people I talk to in companies, is that often we have a lot, a much higher expectation of ourselves than we have of others, and we can be quite critical, or critical of ourselves, particularly high achievers. Actually, uh, you know, we can be really that that critic, that inner critic, is what what helps us get things in at the deadline and helps us to achieve. Um, but sometimes it actually doesn't serve the purpose that it might have originally done, and can spiral a little bit and, and we can start to believe these critical thoughts that aren't facts and okay. that's where we need to reel in the thoughts but it's really important to differentiate between the feeling and the thoughts because I hear so many people I don't know where the language has come from but it's like I feel that and then they go on to say what their perception of the situation is or what they think and that's not a feeling right so it's actually how you feel is valid and so if I if I say I feel anxious because 
I'm about to go on this radio show, somebody might say, don't be ridiculous, you know, haven't you got this experience or whatever? And that, and they're trying to make me feel better, but actually it might make me think there's something wrong with me for feeling this anxiousness. And then it'll go underground mm. and then I'll start spiralling thinking, you know, I'm alone in this. And, yeah, you're you know, afraid to mention it because you're yeah. being ridiculous or you feel that you're yeah. being ridiculous and yeah. that makes yeah. it worse because you suppress it. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, you often hear, I don't know, you often hear people saying, you know, you just want your children to be happy. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, well, I want them to be happy, of course, but it's also a bit of a, an impossibility because we're human. We have all sorts yeah. of emotions. We have all of them. And I want them to know that if they feel anxious in a pandemic, that that's mm. okay, that that's normal and human. And I think that's getting a bit lost yeah. in the message out there around mental health. Okay, the, the two things I'm taking from your message is suppression, don't suppress things, and expression, express yourself uh, if you're feeling anxious in any way. Yeah, and it's okay to park. So, of course, if you're going on the radio, I'm not going to tell you how nervous I am, even though yeah. I mentioned it a few times. So, it's okay to park it, you know, if yeah. you've got a professional thing or you want to kind of keep your feelings at bay when dealing with your children or, or something, you know, where it's not appropriate for you to be, you know, oversharing. But it's to park it rather than to bury it. Yeah, it's to kind of notice and come back to it and use your support later on. Okay, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this uh, European Mental Health Week and uh, for uh, your company and advice as well. Linda. Very good. Thank you indeed. Thank you. you. Linda Brannock is a counsellor, psychotherapist and workplace trainer with therapytraining.ie and a a member of the Irish Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy. Let me bring you just a a couple of comments that have come to us. People still calling us uh, about uh, the attack in Navin last week. Eamon says the lads responsible uh, should be held accountable. He, he thinks they should face really harsh punishments for their terrible actions. A slap on the wrist will not be enough. How can they possibly be allowed to continue to attend the same school as the poor young lad that they attacked? How is their victim supposed to move on from what happened if he's being forced to see them every day in school? They deserve to be severely punished for what they did. Mora says those young men who carried out that uh, horrible attack Uh, on uh, the Navin teenager should be made to write an open letter of apology to their victim, to their school and to their community and should be made to publicly own up for their actions for us all to see. Thank you. If you've been in touch, just to remind you, the telephone number is 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk about uh, the council elections in Northern Ireland uh, once again. Former DUP MLA Jim Wells is on the line and uh, a very good morning to you Jim Wells and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, How do you uh, see the results? Uh, I mean uh, it's the first time that nationalists have dominated. It's been an amazing uh, election for Sinn Féin but the DUP did hold its own didn't it? Yes, the DUP basically held the same number of seats. Sinn Féin continued to eat alive the SDLP and other nationalist parties, and basically that their increase in number of seats and vote was at the expense of the SDLP, and a smaller party up here called People for Profit. So, I mean, there's nothing particularly shocking in these results. Because well, the SDLP lost 20 seats and Sinn Féin gained 39 seats. Yes, but they also uh, picked up, for instance, people before profit mm-hmm. seats and a few independents. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the, the point is, yes, the, the Sinn Féin machine continues to to march forward. 
And basically, there will only be one nationalist party uh, within a decade. It's quite clear the trend. Um, there's, no, there's no sense of any unionist voting Sinn Féin. I mean, that's, that's completely out of the question. So, mm. yes, yes, Sinn Féin had a good day. They, there were a lot of councillors, but they've unlimited yeah. resources. But they're way ahead uh, of the DUP, nonetheless, uh, with uh, more than that record-breaking 30% uh, of uh, the votes. Uh, and uh, I suppose it does break the question, uh, beg the question, if Sinn Féin is going to be the only nationalist Nationalist Party uh, in years to come. Uh, is it time, like the UUP is suggesting, that unionists looked uh, at how they're fighting these elections? I think that's probably right. Uh, I think unionism needs to consolidate and needs to jointly work out a strategy to to take on this uh, particular issue. Um, the DUP is still by, by miles the, lo- the, the largest uh, unionist party and the LCS party, frankly, it's on its way out. Mm. I mean, it's had seven elections in a row where its vote has declined. It's losing seats left, right and centre. And I mean, the writing's on the wall for the LCS party and there has to be some coalescing of the parties for future elections. And not a good election for the TUV. Uh, you've given support to Jim McAllister's party, uh, but really they've fizzled out, it would seem, wouldn't it? Well, they've, they've, they've maintained the number of councillors they have. I think mm. their vote is up significantly, but it hasn't been a particularly good day for the, the TUV. I could have said it's Jim Allister, not Jim McAllister, who's the MLA for, <laughs> for, for South Armagh. To a slightly different end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, they, 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 um, <clears throat> it hasn't been a, a particularly good day. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, uh, the people voted for the TUP because they... Uh, believe they would continue to oppose the, the, the protocol. It's the TUV's role to, is to stand on their shoulder and make certain they keep their promises. Mm. Uh, if that was the case, would the DUP not uh, have fared better? Oh, no. I mean, the DUP had, had, had broken its promise and gone into government uh, with the existence of the protocol. They would have had a really, really bad day. Mm. I mean, the people see them as, a, as the strongest bulwark against the iniquities of the protocol. Uh, any weakening in that, and they're in a very bad position. Um, but there was no gains. Uh, the point I'm making is there was no gains for the DUP, despite the position that it took uh, in protecting national identity, if you like. Yes, but I mean, the, all the opinion polls and the, the, the canvassing indicated that the people wanted resolute, strong action against the protocol. There are no votes to be got in Northern Ireland uh, in supporting the protocol. If unionists want to do that, they'd vote alliance. So, you know, the, the reality is that the Ulster Unionist Party, which has a much more moderate position on the protocol, once again uh, lost great num- mm. large numbers of seats. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the punters, the, the people on the ground, have no time for, for weak unionism in this difficult time. Okay, well, the protocol, of course, has been replaced by the Windsor uh, Agreement. Uh, uh, Are are you saying that you don't believe that the DUP is going to go back into government? Mm, That's a different question. Um, Certainly the Windsor framework doesn't offer any real changes to the protocol. Uh, But the DUP will be under the most enormous pressure to go back into government. And there's all such a threat of, for instance, water charging being introduced, a trebling of student fees, the end of free travel for pensioners. All of these have been threatened at the moment. Uh, and the DUP may could well buckle under that pressure. Uh, uh, there may be a bit of a tinkering through Windsor-Westminster legislation. That might be used as an excuse to go back into government. So I'm not 100% confident that the DUP will hold the line. Uh, but 
it should, and that's the important thing, because the protocol is the biggest threat to Northern Ireland's political position since since 1974. Mm. And if uh, the DUP doesn't go back into government, uh, what would you think uh, about the idea of a government being formed without them? Well, we have always advocated what's called a voluntary coalition, which means that parties fight the election and then form coalitions on the basis of a joint programme for government. There could be a situation where the DUP would be not be in that government. There could be a position where Sinn Féin's not in that government. Uh, and that's the democratic alternative to the present impasse. So that's not out of the question. But remember, Sinn Féin only got 30% of the vote. That means still there's 70% of the people of Northern Ireland don't want them. So there's all to play for here, but the present mutual exclusive destruction system that we have at Stormont, where one party can pull out and the whole mm. thing comes down, that has to change. And it has to be exactly what you do in the Irish Republic. It's a voluntary coalition of the willing. Mm. Uh, no sign of that, though, in uh, the short term, is there? No, there has to be a fundamental root and branch change mm. to the Belfast Agreement, which was a, a product of its time mm. when, when we were coming out of conflict. And it always was seen as a transition. And why should the system of government, which has given stability in places like Sweden and Germany and France, why should that not be also applicable to this part of Europe? Mm. Well, uh, I suppose the next question is that uh, we're in this state of limbo. Is that going to continue indefinitely until change is made? Any reverting to a, an executive will only be a sticking plaster until the next crisis because of the system of government we have. Can you imagine in the Irish Republic a system that forces Sinn Féin, Fine Gael, Fine Fáil, the Greens and Uncle Tom Company and all into government? It just couldn't work. It is bound to collapse. Some of you are asking people, parties which are totally opposed to each other in policy to go back into government. Uh, they may do so and it'll collapse again. I was at Stormont for 28 years and it was collapsing on a regular basis because of the inherent weaknesses within the system. Okay, uh, so change. Would, would, would you um, prefer just to call a halt to it now and uh, move to uh, amending uh, the Good Friday Agreement uh, so that uh, a new system of, of uh, elections could be put in place? Yes, I think everybody's agreed that change is required fundamentally to the structures. That it's an enforced coalition which does not work. It's as simple as that. It can't work. And the system that works so well elsewhere in Europe has to be on the table for consideration. And the reality is that you and I will be discussing collapses in the future on many occasions unless we deal with this issue. And I keep asking... If Mary Lou Macdonald was forced into government with Leo Varadkar, exactly what sort of government would you have in the Irish Republic? Mm. Chaos. It's an interesting thought, if nothing else. Indeed, yeah. And Michael Martin and Uncle Tom Cobbley and all. And the reality is that system cannot work because it has the seeds of its own destruction inherent within it. So therefore, we have to start from scratch. Its transition period is now 25 years. We have used the system uh, totally, which was, had so many inherent problems, we now need to move on to something that will give stability. Okay. And that's a voluntary coalition. All right. Uh, we live there for the moment. Thank you indeed, uh, as always, for joining us uh, this morning. Jim Wells is a former LA MLA for the DUP. Let's uh, 
echo back to some of your comments. Uh, thanks uh, to the listener in touch with us saying I was disappointed with uh, Darren O'Rourke's take on the incident in Navin last week. Sorry, but these child thugs must be made accountable for their horrific actions. That poor child will carry with him for the rest of his life. Uh, thank you indeed. I think Darren O'Rourke said punishment first uh, and then maybe look at some rehabilitation, some form of rehabilitation, but punishment first. Uh, our caller says at half seven this morning they got a text uh, from their child's school, which is St. Oliver's in Drogheda. Uh, and uh, there was a very serious message in it that I'm not going to read, uh, but it certainly would have caused concern. Uh, and it's the third time apparently that this has happened. Uh, is it a joke or is it real? Have the Gardaí been informed? Will I keep my child at home? Michael, these people need to be made accountable. Thank you very much indeed uh, for that. Uh, and uh, we'll hope that it is a hoax and that whoever is responsible for sending the text message uh, will be brought to book for that matter. Uh, Pat and Drum Conrad says the assault in Navin on the 14-year-old boy by a group of his school peers was vicious and horrific. I didn't see the video and I don't want to. The boys who did that awful deed do need to be dealt with. What that means, I'm not qualified to say. That is for the courts to decide. I hope uh, the wounded, hurt boy can recover from this awful, horrific deed. I hope for the boys who did it that their characters can be saved. But for that to happen, the parents need to step up so their children see them accept responsibility and express shame for having failed as parents uh, and see them take responsibility for what their children have done and offer to do whatever they can do for this young 14-year-old child and beg for his forgiveness. If uh, they do that, there might be hope for a future for their own children. The rest of us need to see uh, and pray, if uh, that's your thing, for good to overcome. Thank you very much indeed. Pat in Drum Conrath. Our, our telephone number 0419832000. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, uh, the blockade is gone, uh, but people in Inch County Clare are still protesting at uh, the idea of asylum seekers uh, being housed at McGowna House. Let's speak to local independent TD, Michael McNamara, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Michael. Uh, I beg your pardon. Uh, I'm told Michael isn't actually on the line at the moment uh, because uh, the line has dropped out on us. Uh, We're trying to uh, re-establish that line. And I think we probably do have Michael McNamara uh, on uh, the phone now. But uh, as you've been hearing, uh, the blockade uh, has been lifted. uh, But the locals continue to protest at the idea of asylum seekers uh, being housed at McGowna House. Michael McNamara is accusing the government of a two-tiered system of immigration uh, because communities like Inch and County Clare are being asked to house asylum seekers. uh, But why is this not happening in more affluent areas? Uh, We do have Michael McNamara on the line now. And a very good morning to you. uh, And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Uh, Can you explain to us at all um, why people in Inch County Clare are so opposed to the asylum seekers being housed in McGowna House? Um, Well, I suppose, first of all, people need to understand what Inch is. I mean, you know, people are on Twitter giving out that they won't ever do their shopping in Inch. I mean, there's no place to shop in Inch. Inch is a... uh, Inch Bridge, there's a bridge 
not too far from it, there's a church, and beside that church is the school, and that's it. It's a very diffuse uh, rural community uh, uh, west of Ennis. Um, so for the, the idea of putting 69 men up there, a couple of uh, miles, about a mile off uh, the main uh, road between um, Inch and, uh, or between Ennis and Connolly, is really, uh, it begs the question of, without transport links, without something to do, I mean, it's one thing to put 69 or 89 or whatever number uh, of single men into a, into a town or, or even a small town or a city where they have transport links, where they, there are facilities, where ultimately there's the possibility of getting a job, uh, of uh, fulfilling their, their, their days. But to be put up there begs the question, uh, why are they being put there? Because we know that there's a scramble for places right mm. across the country, but there are places in towns, there are places in villages. I mean, near, I'm from the town of Scariff. Um, there's a disused hotel there bigger disused hotel than in Inch, and there are 76 people who go in there comprised of families and couples. Um, so I, I suppose the concern in Inch is that it's putting a, a large number of single men into a place where there's no transport links mm. and are being provided with nothing. It's far from ideal. Very far from ideal, yeah. F- completely far from ideal. It's far from ideal, uh, as you can imagine. But given the alternative, why are people so opposed to them moving in? Well, to the extent that they man a blockade uh, on a 24-hour basis? Well, first of all, you said given the alternative. I mean, you see... Streets of Dublin seems to be the alternative. The only alternative is to be... Uh, in the streets in Dublin where they're subject to vile attacks by, uh, yeah. by people are to be an inch. But they're not the only alternatives because we know that there are places available in towns uh, and, in, um, and in cities uh, and we're putting people into places in towns and cities. So, I mean, my question, I think their question would be, well, why are we sending single men into uh, a, a, faci- a very remote facility and putting couples and families into towns when one might have thought and expected that if, if you're part of a family and you're moved into some place remote, at least there's a lot less chance of isolation. You seem to be putting a, a particular uh, emphasis on the fact that they're men, single men. Is that an well, important I, I think, factor? I, I think that is a concern for the community. And it's, I think it's a legitimate question. Why are families and couples being housed in towns and they're still being housed in towns? Uh, whereas single men are being moved into such a remote place. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't like to be one of 69 single men uh, in a very remote place. No, but you might prefer to be there than uh, on the streets of Dublin in a town. I would, I would and if they were the mm. only choices, then I, I, I've no mm. doubt which choice I'd take, but they're mm. not the only choices. It's disingenuous. To but why, why is it pe- that people get worried about single men um, from other countries and they don't get worried about single Irish men who are... are, are I think that's, that's slightly unfair. I mean, I was at a public meeting with people from Inch. They said it, 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 it isn't to do with other countries. If you had 69 men from Loch Grey that were being... Sure, I, 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 I know of places uh, that, that are being rented out by companies uh, who house their employees and uh, you've large groups of men who've moved in there. Uh, I don't know if Without they're single... Any work, uh, no work, no facilities, just sitting there all day with nothing to do. do you, because you see, if you're being housed by companies, they're at least gainfully employed. The, like the idea, we, we signed up to the reception directive with much uh, self-celebration that we were going to allow people the right to work after six months if their claims mm. hadn't been processed in that time. Now, moving somebody to Inch, there isn't work for 69 mm. people in Inch. There are men 
who live in Inch, who travel on a bus every Monday morning at four o'clock in the morning, they get a, a, a bus to Dublin mm. and go to Dublin, work in construction and come back on Friday evening. But so, I mean, it, it is not... An why, ideal, why intimidate? It is not even a fair solution to anybody, but most of all, it is a solution that was the government arrived at without any consultation, without any discussion whatsoever. Mm. Now, people make the point, it's a hotel. Nobody's entitled to consultation on who stays in a hotel. But that's simply untrue, because it's no longer a hotel. It's, there's a, a material change of use. Mm. Now, if you want to have a material change of use of any building an inch, for any purpose other than to accommodate asylum seekers, you need to go through planning permission, and that involves a degree of public consultation. Okay, we are in a, an emergency. I don't think anybody would dispute that. But um, why, 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 why intimidate these men? Well, you see, I don't believe that there was an intimidation. Of, of course, days. there was. I mean, if you were trying to move in anywhere, and there was a group of people protesting to keep you out, of course, it's intimidating. Okay, I mean, I, I, I take that, and that certainly. Uh, very unfortunate. I don't think there was any deliberate attempt to intimidate them in. I think a lot of the... the well, then that's just silly. Uh, I, I mean... Sorry, uh, I, I didn't say silly. I didn't use the word... No, no I'm saying it's silly. If people didn't think that that would intimidate the well, people who were people scheduled to move in there, people who had come from terrible uh, situations, uh, fleeing whatever it is they're fleeing, whether it's war or persecution or, or torture just, or, or, or whatever the case may be. Well, or just in the vast majority of cases are unsuccessful, and I'm somebody who's practised a lot in immigration law, are unsuccessful. Uh, the vast majority of people are fleeing poverty and are seeking a better life for themselves and ultimately to bring their families here for a better life. And I don't think they should be faulted for that. Uh, but what, to go back to the initial point, I mean, my understanding is I obviously haven't been at the barricade. Uh, I've had a lot of discussions with people who have that, uh, that there was a lot of, uh, that there were amicable discussions with the men and asking them, where are you from? the normal conversation, why did you choose Ireland, what are you hoping to do? Mm. And, and you uh, saw people they, pack they, up they, and take their, their, their worldly belongings with them in plastic bags as they made their way back to City West, only to be told, uh, nothing for you here to go and sleep on the streets. Uh, I mean, it yeah, was, it I mean, was pretty awful behaviour, wasn't it? There were also people who were brought uh, by um, some of the people who were manning the barricades, brought to the local shops and um, to because they needed something, because they're completely remote, no mm. way to get to shops, and they were brought to shops and said, look, if we can help you but with that, ju- that doesn't just that doesn't that doesn't justify what it appears to anybody from outside of the area as complete racist action to why, keep why to racist? keep immigrants out which is why it's become an internet phenomenon with uh, right wing groups uh, around the world zoning in on what's happening in inch and county clare is a, a great example uh, of uh, right wing politics but you say racist what, what is racist about it? Um, well, they're telling people uh, from other countries, we don't want you here. It's not suitable for you. But they've been quite clear that they would uh, take the same view with any group of 69 men if there was uh, no consultation whatsoever. And as regards... You know, 69 uh, engineers from Belfast, uh, they take the same... Well, do you think 69 men engineers from Belfast would be located... Uh, 10 miles from Ennis without any facilities, without any work and left there to fend for themselves. Uh, I've seen lots of things happen that I wouldn't have expected, but I would think in the first instance, it's not really any of my business. Uh, what happens in Inch? Is none mm. of your business? Or mm. Sorry, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, well, if I was a local in Inch, I would be thinking it's not really any of my business. Yeah, uh, see, most people take what's happening in their community, particularly in rural communities, as their business. Um, that's why, as I say, there's a, a planning process involving consultation about what happens in one's community mm. so that people can uh, be consulted. 
appeal consultants listen to and ultimately a decision is made. Now, the planning, this was a change of use for the purpose of, of accommodating persons seeking international protection or recipients of temporary protection was taken outside of the planning process. So there's no consultation through that. There's no consultation through any process. There's no discussion. There's no explanation. There's no, well, why inch instead of any of the many other facilities available across the country? Why, why are we moving them to the most remote places that we can find? Um, uh, there were no, no questions, no answers, nothing, only they were arriving. They were told 69, a busload, they uh, had a public meeting said mm. that they wanted to be consulted. I know, uh, but when you talk about places being available, I think you're talking about places that should be made uh, available or could be made available, but they're obviously not uh, available given the numbers of people who are sleeping on the streets because there's nowhere for them to go. Well, it could, should and are being made available, I mean, but, you know, there are, I mean, Mike, the, the question that the people of Inch have is why is it, uh, single men over families. Surely families could integrate much better in such a, 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 a remote, uh, a remote location within a remote. It's, it's already remote within Inch, but a remote location within a remote community. Surely families, couples who are going to school. Who I mean, if I moved into as as a children of young as a forty-something-year-old man and the children of parents, if I moved into a, a new community where I knew nobody, chances are. I would get to know people at the school gate is one of the primary places I'd get to know, unless, of course, I was working, but these men aren't working and there's no possibility of them getting work if they're being uh, located out in the middle of nowhere without transport links. So either through work or at the school gate is where I would get to meet people and Mm. start to integrate into that community. Neither of those are possible in Inch. So it is a real, um, uh, I think, seeking for to almost ghettoise them um, by the government. And it's, in my view, bad politics and bad practice not to consult with people about a, a change of use, of a, a, a change to their community, because people expect to be have some degree of consultation. There was none. So they set up, they asked for consultation, mm. they asked questions to their elected representatives in the Dáil, those questions were ignored. They had a public meeting, they said they wanted to be consulted, that was ignored, and then a bus arrived basically to say, well, this is how it is. And they said, well, these people are here, but we're not. No more will come in without a consultation. And that is what has been done. And the government have accepted that there will be no more for the next four weeks. And by the way, I welcome the fact that um, Joe O'Brien, the the minister responsible, uh, said that it wasn't, uh, having met them, he didn't believe that there was any so far-right integration. And you, like Mm. many commentators, have been very fast to label them as uh, as racist and very fast to suggest that... um, that, that they're somehow linked to far-right politics. When in my belief, neither is the case, and that is manifestly the case if you bother to come and meet them. Um, Joe O'Brien did, and w- I welcome that. Uh, he acknowledged that there was no far-right involvement whatsoever. In fact, uh, some far-right groups uh, tried to infiltrate it and mm-hmm. were in packing. And he said that, described them as ordinary, decent people, and he said he would consult with them further in advance of any further changes. I welcome that. OK, we'll leave it there. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Michael McNamara, Independent TD for Clare. Michael Reed on LMFM. Some more text messages about uh, the attack on uh, the 14-year-old boy in Navin. Paddy Duffy says, uh, the person who posted the video didn't do the perpetrators any favours. It's impossible to dispute the evidence. It does seem that way to me as well, Paddy. Thanks uh, for that. Somebody else says, uh, Michael, I've seen the injuries firsthand as well as uh, the trauma. 
that uh, this young boy experienced. We brought him home while his mother was on her way. What was done to this boy was beyond belief. Uh, I tell you, if they did the same to a dog, they'd be charged with animal cruelty. I was just in shock at the injuries that I saw and I don't want to ever see anything like it again. Thank you indeed uh, for sharing that with us. Now, as you heard earlier, the rally against hate took place in Navan as a result of that attack and indeed as a way of showing solidarity with that young boy and his family. The co-chair of Navan Pride is Patrick Lawler, who's on the line. Good morning to you, Patrick, uh, and thanks morning, for joining us. Uh, what did that attack on that boy say to you uh, uh, about how safe it is for young LGBTQ people in the town? Um, well, I mean, this, I think, was uh, probably uh, an attack that, that could happen anywhere in the country. Um, I think it's it's something that probably, it, it, you know, the videoing of it, uh, sad as it is that it was shared so 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 much and we did condemn the, the sharing of the video um yeah i mean like it, it's just horrific for that for that uh, young victim to have to relive that every time uh, it, it's played um but i mean this thing is probably happening around the country and we don't hear about it um now to that extent i don't know um i know that i grew up in navan i i was in st pat's for for six years um, and, you know, I never saw anything uh, like that. There was always casual homophobia, you know. I mean, that was, it was an all-boys school. It was the, For the time, it was quite common. Um, but, I mean, I, you know, I think a lot, of, a lot has changed in the last, you know, 15 years or so, you know, from people, who, young people I speak to, you know, through working with people in, uh, with Navin Pride, you know, I, I do think that this sort of thing... Um, you know, it, it is it is it is uncommon. You know, and um, I, you know, I, I think it's it's very sad that that it was so ferocious and aggressive in um, in what we saw. You know, mm. uh, disappointing uh, to hear you say that it's probably something that's happening, whether it's on the same scale or otherwise, in every part of uh, the country. And I suppose backed up uh, by the research published last week by Belong To, which shows that the vast majority of young LGBTQ people going to school don't feel safe in school. Yeah, I, I've read this and um, I think um, a lot of it has, has got to do with online, um, you know, activities, social media. I think it makes it so so easy for uh, people to be targeted, uh, you know, uh, via whatever platform they use or even just WhatsApp or whatever, you know. Uh, I think kids of today, they have, a, have it very tough. Um, you know, it, it's it, bullying is just uh, at, at people's fingertips, um, whereas before, uh, when I was growing up, you know, if there was ever anything said, it was it was sort of finished with when you got home. Mm. You didn't have to kind of worry about or uh, receiving texts or videos or whatever, you know. Uh, so I, I do think it's, um, it's it's a lot harder for this day's generation, um, you know, when it comes to that kind of bullying. If anything good uh, came out of uh, the attack. It's impossible, really, but it's the universal condemnation and the disgust that people have expressed across the board uh, and seeing the Daily Mail today that the Taoiseach, the Taunashe and the Minister for Justice have all said uh, that uh, they'll attend the Pride Festival in Navan if uh, they're asked uh, or at least that they'll try to if their diaries uh, allow. I take it you'll be inviting them. Of course, yeah. We we have invited um, the Taoiseach and the Taunish and a number of other ministers uh, already to our uh, launch night, which will be taking place uh, on the 12th uh, of June in Specsavers in Navan at 6pm. I'd like to thank Specsavers for uh, ho- uh, hosting that. Um, it's going to be a night of uh, refreshments and uh, we'll give an announcement, we'll sort of give an, a run through of what's happening for the festival. So the festival begins on the 26th of 
June to the July the 1st um, and the intention is to have the parade on July the 1st at 2pm. We just have to uh, dot a few I's and cross a few T's on that uh, with the guards and that. So we have we have the council backing, we have um, uh, our insurance boss for, for the parade and everything. So we just have to just dot a few I's in that, uh, in that regard. But um, look, there's lots happening um, and anybody is, inv- is invited to, to attend. Uh, all ministers, all TDs will be invited uh, if, they, if they want to attend any uh, any of our events, um, it's you know it's it's multi multi party. It's not we're not going to be uh, picking and choosing, you know. So um, it'll yeah, be different it's though. Great to, to see that backing though. It will be different though, won't it? To other years, uh, given what's happened uh, and uh, the shock uh, that people have experienced uh, as a result of the assault, but also uh, as a result of the mindset. And uh, I take it uh, the Pride Rally will be an opportunity for people to say let's live together uh, and uh, an opportunity for people to respond to that uh, and show solidarity. Yeah, of course. I mean, this is actually our first ever Pride Festival uh, this year. So we started uh, planning it in, in early January uh, and you know it's been it's been hard hard work for a lot of people on our committee. You know we've we, you know we've really had to work hard to get everything up and running. We've had the backing of a lot of businesses in the town. We're putting on events. Uh, the Central, the Solstice, uh, Henry Lockwins have all been absolutely brilliant support uh, from the outset. But uh, yeah, as you say, um, I think there will be a different dynamic to it. Um, you know it was uh, and it is still going to be a celebration of the LGBTQ plus community in, in Navan and the surrounding areas. Now, uh, I think we will also have a, an aspect of, um, you know, showing that showing solidarity again. We will have a message once mm-hmm. again uh, for, for uh, any victims of hate crime. And that's what the rally was was held uh, for at the weekend. And it's not just hate against gay people. It's hate against uh, migrants. It's hate against, you know, uh, women, whatever, you know. I mean, it's it's a, any sort of minority group. That's what we were protesting against yeah, yeah, at the you, weekend. You, know? you, you mentioned the businesses in the town. A number of them uh, flew rainbow flags over the weekend. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think uh, Niall Brennan from uh, Henry Lockwins was one of the first to put out a flag, uh, which is fantastic to see. And he's been, you know, supporting us from the very outset. You know, he was the first person I went to and said, will you do something for if we're going to organise a Pride next year? Then uh, the Central got on board. Um, and I, I believe that um, the railway bar had some uh, flags up in the town. But I have to say, from the very outset, uh, you know, we've been going around to businesses in the run-up to this. And I'd say 90% of people have said they would put up a poster uh, in their window, which will say this business supports uh, the LGBTQ plus uh, uh, community in, in Navan um, and, uh, you know, and will uh, celebrate Navan Pride with them. Um, and they've said a lot of them as, as well have, have asked for a flag. So I'd just like to reiterate that if any business uh, wants, wants a flag, uh, please get in touch with hello at navanpride.ie and we will provide a flag if they can't get one themselves. We'd also encourage anybody, any people uh, who have flags themselves to fly them out, outside their own their own premises. Their, their houses so we want to see we really want to paint the, the town rainbow and, um, and and show people uh, how tolerant Navin is okay. so that will be happening from uh, again June 26th to July the 1st OK hello at navinpride.ie Patrick thank you indeed Patrick Lawler the co-chair of Navin Pride that's our programme for today God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow thank morning you, at 9am on LMFM good morning bye bye The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie